I wanna invite you, if you have your Bibles open, to open them, or don't have them open, open them to Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Keep your finger there. I'm also gonna ask you to stand during the sermon series. On the Sermon on the Mount, we're reading the text together. So everyone stand, excuse me. And you'll see on the screens the text for today. I'll stand with you and, and, and look up. And I'd like us to read it out loud. After we read it out loud, uh, we, we say, this is the living word of God for us today. And then I will say a short prayer and we will dive into our text. Let's read this together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the living word of God for us today. Father, we pray in these next few moments, building upon our worship already, Jesus, show us from this text what it means to follow you. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, it, uh, it was uh, three years of innovative, complex, and very risky construction before what was at the time the largest man-made movable object uh, was ready for her maiden voyage. She set out from Southampton, England on April 10th, 1912 with 2,000 240 souls on board. This is the way they talked about these things back then. Um, Four days after uh, the the beginning of the maiden voyage, around 11.30 at night, a lookout spotted an iceberg, and you know where this story goes. Iceberg directly in her path. Now, this lookout, you know, called the bridge, the engines were reversed, the ship was turned, and ended up, glancing an iceberg, uh, you know, just glanced by this on this iceberg. Now, such that ice fragments were all over the front of the boat, but she continued to sail. At 2.20 a.m., so that's 11.30 at night, 2.20 a.m., some four hours after scraping this iceberg, you guys know this, the Titanic, which, you know, this, this Titanic that was floating was now vertical, And within minutes, this giant ship plunged to the bottom of the sea, 1,535 people perishing. Now, I share that to say this. It was not the iceberg they could see that sank them. It was the iceberg they couldn't see. They saw the iceberg, they they scraped it, but what they couldn't see was that that iceberg tore a 300-foot-long gash in that hole, and they couldn't see it because it was all below the waterline. 
Now, when you think about icebergs, and they, they, they serve this illustration well. You guys know this, and, and it's just visually, I wanna remind you as you look up here, that 10% of an iceberg is above the waterline. Fully 90% of an iceberg resides below the waterline and out of sight. When that lookout saw the iceberg, yes, he saw the iceberg, 10%. He saw 10 yards of a 100-yard-long field. Uh, they estimate that the iceberg the Titanic struck was three to six times the mass of the Titanic herself. Now, again, this is the largest man-made object on the planet at the time. So three to six times larger than that. Y'all, when, when that ship scraped the iceberg, uh, it was as if that boat ran into an immovable can opener and tore that hull open. I share that to say, Jesus, in our text today, and, and we're gonna see this throughout this section, I'll talk about that in a moment. He, he's gonna tell us that the, the iceberg we can see is not our threat. That's not the threat. The, the threat is the iceberg you can't see. Um, it's not the external that's the problem. It's the internal below the waterline. And you might say, well, well what's the threat? Well, in, in this text, the threat is nothing less than this. Whether you're in the kingdom of God or whether you are not in the kingdom of God. That's what's at stake understanding this text. Now, I'm gonna give us an introduction. Uh, you know how we've been moving through the Sermon on the Mount, there's sections within the sermon, right? And we finish one and now we're beginning another section. And, and I'm gonna talk about that in a moment, but this is the introduction to that section. And Jesus, gosh, he's gonna give very six very concrete examples of, of ways that um, the Pharisees in that day were pointing at the external and Jesus says, no, you gotta look at the internal issues of righteousness and life. Um, I've got four verses. So I've got four headings today. Don't always do this, but four headings, just so you know where we're going. Here's, here's how we're gonna cover these four verses. I put them in phrases like Jesus is speaking. So verse 17, Jesus says, don't even think about it. <laughs> You'll see what I mean in a moment. Verse 18, don't ignore the smallest parts. Verse 19, don't be least in the kingdom. And verse 20, don't measure your righteousness by that of the religious leaders. With that, look in your Bibles and follow along. Verse 14, don't even think about it. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Don't even think about it. You know, there, there are parking signs that say, don't park here, that some of us look at and go, that means I can park here for 10 minutes because I'm going. <laughs> and then there are other signs that would tell us, you know, you don't even want to think about this. New York City's known for some of those signs that'll put the fear of God in you. One being here, um, last person that parked here is still missing. Of course, humorous but you go, I don't wanna park here. But then, then straight up, many would say, like, like this, don't even think 
of parking here. And that would cause you pause, you know, that, you know, I don't, I, even though, I, no, I'm not gonna do it because something really bad's gonna happen. I say that to say that the, the weight and the, the emphasis, the, 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 the intensity of Jesus's words truly are in this passage. Don't even entertain the thought that I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Well, well, what are we talking about when he says the law and the prophets? Can, this is Jewish shorthand for the Old Testament. It's the, the law, first five books, and then the rest of it. Now, there are other ways we divide it out, but he's speaking of the Old Testament and the word of God that they possessed. Now, here's a question. Why would, if he says, don't even think that I came to abolish it, why would they be thinking that he did come to abolish it? Because clearly he's not speaking into a vacuum. Clearly he knows they think that he's come to abolish it. I'm asking you, think about it. You gotta think about gospel stories. What might be some reasons they would go, I think this guy's dissing the law. He's, 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 he's saying get rid of the law. Why would they think that? Somebody just yell out anything that you'd go. Here's a reason they might think that. Say it again. And why didn't they like him? Why did the Pharisees not like him? What would he do? He healed on the Sabbath. You know, that's probably the, one of the, if not the biggest one, y'all. You know, the law says you rest on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the scribes said, in fact, let me tell you 300 more ways that you don't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes along and heals on the Sabbath. And y'all, as, as, as we know, they're gonna spend the next two years trying to kill him. You know why? Because he's doing away, they say he's doing away with the law. He's not doing what the law says, or at least their interpretation of the law. When Jesus says, no, 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 I've come to fulfill it. Well, that's what Carrie and Emily just covered for us. No, Jesus has come, not just there was a promise made and oh, Jesus fulfilled the promise, but the whole covenant, the whole Old Testament and all that it contains, boom, it lands on Jesus in its fullness and in its reality. That's what Jesus is saying, Jesus is the only human being on the planet, you all, that can say, if not shout, hey, it's all about me, and not be sinning when he says it. That is a biblical theological fact, and this is so important, you all. It's the golden key, if you will, of, of not just, listen, understanding the Sermon on the Mount and how to apply it. No, no, no. That's the golden key for understanding the whole Bible and properly interpreting the whole Bible and properly applying the whole Bible is to, is to grasp that it's all about Jesus. He said as much when he walked with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, didn't he? Because there in that passage in Luke, he says, look, Start in Genesis, I'm gonna go all the way through the Old, Old Testament and I'm gonna show you everything's about me. And their eyes were open. You know, far from abolishing the law, no, he is, he, can I, I can almost like, he's, he is the law. <laughs> he embodies the fullness and reality of all the law says and promises. Right down 
to the most minute part, and this is where we go next, the second verse, verse 18, where he says, don't ignore the smallest parts. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. When he said this, and I'm gonna show you this on the screen, you know, we, we, we wouldn't get it right away, but, but they get it immediately. They know what he's talking about. Here is, for example, uh, Jesus is saying, here's the smallest um, letter. It's, not ju- it's the smallest letter, uh, and it's the smallest piece of a letter. Like, like the tiniest thing's not, the tiniest thing is going to come to be. <laughs> you know, nothing's gonna be left out such that the, Yod, which this is a this is a Hebrew letter. It's the smallest one. I mean, it's just a looks like a comma, right? But it's a letter. Here's two other Hebrew letters: Resh and Dalet. Can you see the difference between the Resh and the Dalet? This is the only difference. That nub. <laughs> see that nub? So Jesus is saying, look, whether it's the smallest letter or the tiniest stroke of the pen, all of it will be accomplished in me. The difference between a capital R and a capital P is one little leg. But the difference between run and pun, you know, are worlds apart. Don't, don't ignore even the smallest part. You see how Jesus is kind of building upon, say, are you kidding me? Don't think about it. Even the smallest part is fulfilled in me. Now he's going to go to two warnings, and we'll land the plane on these two. Verse 19, he says, don't be least in the kingdom. Look at it in your Bibles. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This can be a little difficult to understand. Let me see if I can help. The first thing we'd ask is, is he describing two groups of people who are in the kingdom? In other words, there are least in the kingdom and there are the great in the kingdom, but they're both in, they're both in heaven, they're both with God. See, that's, when we read it, it's like that's what he's saying. Now, may I say many interpret these verses to say that very thing, that within the kingdom, there are least and there are great. Can I say this? The Bible teaches you all that heaven, as wonderful as it is, is not the same can I, the for everyone. Your, how you live your life, having come to faith in Christ, matters in the kingdom. And, and there's some distinctions within heaven, within the kingdom. Now, what I wanna suggest is That's not what he's saying here, okay? I want to suggest that what Jesus is saying here and what the original audience would hear him say is, hey, there are some who aren't in, and then there are those who are in. He's describing those who are not in, who are least, and those who are in. And that's how the audience would, would receive it, and I think that's how we need to understand it. And I'll give you two reasons, which takes us to our fourth point, in this outline, the fourth verse, verse 20. For here he tells us, and I've had, I've, I've, in the outline, I've, I've said it this way, don't measure your righteousness by that of the religious leaders. For Jesus says, verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter 
the kingdom of heaven. This is not hard to understand or interpret really. If your righteousness doesn't exceed that of, they, they look, they're right there, scribes and Pharisees. If your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of those guys, you're not in. Is everybody with me? That's how clear this is, which is why I, in, in the context, I, 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 I'm gonna take it as if you're least in the kingdom, you're not in. If you're great in the kingdom, you're in. Don't measure your righteousness by that of the religious leaders. Now, y'all, this verse unlocks the most powerful transforming power in the universe. But you don't experience that power till you really understand the truth that Jesus is saying for that power is what we know as grace. Grace, God's unmerited, unearned favor. Let me explain it. If I were to tell you, uh, you know, none of you are getting into heaven, into, you can't be in relationship with God unless you demonstrate that you are smarter than Albert Einstein. It's kind of what he's saying, okay? And I'm just offering it to us in our 20th century context. How does that make you feel? What do you think when I say that? Look, you, you can't, you're not in unless you verify that you are smarter than Albert Einstein. How, how does that, where do you guys go? What do you think? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in. And of course, there's some in the room that says, well, I guess I am in, you know? Which means you're definitely not in, you know? But do you see the idea? Because for them, this is where I want us to grasp this, you all. They, they Scribes and Pharisees were right there. This was a very concrete example. And for every person sitting on that hillside listening to Jesus, if you were to ask them, hey, who's in the kingdom and who's not? They would go therein. I mean, those, those guys are in because they keep the law like nobody's business. Do you see what I'm saying? They, they would immediately go therein. And yet, what do we see Jesus do? We've already seen him do it in the, in the sermon. Jesus goes, no, no, they're in, the, the meek, the lowly, the hungry. You see, Jesus says, no, they're in. Whew, I mean, this, you talk about blowing their minds. I mean, they're, they're, they're like freaking out now because they're, they, they, are tr- they are trying to live up to the scribes and Pharisees in order to be in. And Jesus comes along, and again, the Greek is very emphatic. Jesus comes along and says, no, no you don't understand. Um, they're not in. <laughs> and in fact, To be in, you've got to be, your righteousness has to be beyond theirs. And at this point, I I really believe, I mean, the sparks have to be flying out of their brain. I also think that he's speaking in in, in in the previous verse about out of the kingdom, in the kingdom, because of how the whole section ends. Let me just add this. You know, I said we're in a new section within the sermon. Well, the section we're in ends with these words from Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but here's how Jesus ends the section. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So, I don't think it means to be in the kingdom, what's the, what level of righteousness must you have to be in the kingdom? Tell me. 
What does he just say? Perfect, whole, complete. When we come to our text and it says, least, um, whoever relaxes one of these, that word means to loose. It's like to break loose from. And I think in the context, he's speaking of, if you break loose the intent of the law from the law, can I say this? You're not keeping the law. And finally, may I say, I think it's who's in and who's out because what, where Jesus is going the next six weeks where we're going, by the way, if, if the sermon hasn't made you uncomfortable yet, it's gonna, where he goes. And where Jesus is gonna go is he's gonna show how, quite frankly, the Pharisees and scribes relax the law. Watch them. They're gonna, they're gonna pull the intent of the law from the law and Jesus is gonna say, that's no good. <laughs> that's breaking the law. You're not even coming close to keeping the law when you do that. Is everybody with me? I'm kind of overbearing on this point because it's so, so critical and important. Those who were listening to the message originally, they got it. Scribes and Pharisees totally get it. As we said earlier, they're gonna kill Jesus because he did this. They're gonna kill him because he's saying, hey, everything you're doing is not it. So here's where it leaves us. And this is what I want us to feel. We've got a problem that we can't solve. How, if the scribes and Pharisees who keep the law meticulously aren't in, who, who stands a chance? Who, who can do it? Who can get in? Now, we gotta go back to the iceberg. You gotta go back to the Titanic and why it sank. Let me pull the slide back up. This is so critical, you all, to us as a church, to the church as a whole, but us uniquely in the sense of our mission is built upon what I'm gonna talk about right here. That there are, there are really two, two realities. Can I say it that way? There is the physical, visual realities of life and then there's these realities of life that you can't see hidden under the waterline. There is, I'll say it this way, there is the external life you live. And you know what? You and I both have an internal life that people can't see. And that's the beauty of the iceberg illustration. How many icebergs are on the screen? I'm not tricking you. How many are on there? Yeah, but do you understand that that one, there are two parts to that one that are inseparable? Do you understand you're looking at me right now and you're hearing me and you are looking and hearing Lloyd's external part. But you can't see what's inside of me. What do you mean? Well, here's what, you don't even, you can't, you don't know what I'm thinking when I look at you. <laughs> In the same way, I don't know what you're thinking when you look at me. We're looking at the exterior. But when God looks at us, let me ask you, does he see the 10% or does he see the 90%? That's a little bit of a trick question. 100%. He sees it all. Oh my goodness. Well then, oh, you're saying the whole iceberg has to be perfect? Exactly. Now, what is the iceberg in our language? What is the iceberg in biblical language? I wanna suggest, if I may, that the iceberg is nothing less than 
what we call the heart and the Bible calls the heart. Y'all think about it. The heart is our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. This is not fellowship's definition. This is the biblical definition of the heart. It is, our, it is the control center of life. It is that place from which we think, feel, desire, and choose, and it's connected. You can't take a piece of the heart and say that's, that's the whole heart. No, the whole heart is the integrated fullness of our hearts. And what I want to suggest, and I think the, the scripture you know, unfolds this, is that we live our life, our hearts, more like this. What do you mean? Well, I mean this, our thoughts. Well, then it's because it's underwater. <laughs> My gosh, we have had more trouble with this. I didn't even get to use it last service. So listen, the, the heart, picture, picture a heart like this. You know, the, here's, here's the heart. We often live our lives with the heart tilted over so that guess what the only part sticking out of the water is of our hearts? Which part of our hearts stick out? I'm talking thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. Which part sticks out of the water? Y'all, is that crazy? But it's true. And so our thoughts, emotions, desires are under the water line. Does that make sense? And may I say, myself included, we will move heaven and earth to put enough makeup on our choices to make us look the part I, to, so that you think certain things about me. And I think we'll, we will do that. And you know what else we'll do? We will move heaven and earth to make sure you never see what's under the waterline because you'd throw up if you saw it. Does that make sense? I mean, that's how we tend to live. And what God says, no, no, you... You bring your whole heart to me and to each other. And it requires a holy, righteous heart to be in the kingdom. And, and honestly, I hope you do this. I hope you go, oh my gosh, if that's true, I really don't stand a chance because you've just said, I can't have a dirty, dark, ugly thought. Do you know that's exactly where Jesus is getting ready to go over the next six weeks? And so we stand in a place where we either, either we go, I gotta, I gotta make better choices and not make so many mistakes, or we go, I give up. I can't do it. When we say I'm gonna work harder, we've stepped into the shoes of the Pharisees and scribes who aren't in. But when we say I give up, because I, I can't do it. I've got a problem that's unsolvable. I have a heart that's darkened. I can't think. We're at the place of grace. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, paid the penalty we deserve, rose again, and said, look, if you'll trust me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put words in his mouth, but it, this is what he means. Trusting me, you get a new heart. You're clothed in my righteousness. 
And is this not what the, what the prophets promised? Think about law and prophets. Jesus said, it's all about me. What did Ezekiel say? He said, he said God is one day gonna give his people a new heart. And Jeremiah comes along and says, there's gonna come a day in the future when God is gonna write his law on people's hearts and it's gonna be in them. Y'all, all of that is pointing to who? Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. Does that, does that make sense? And see, what, what we can do though, and I hate this, is that in our fallenness, it's like we have an allergic reaction to grace. What do you mean? I mean this, in, a fallen, in our fallenness, we would rather have the rules and rituals to follow that we do rather than recognize we could never do it and cast ourselves at the foot of the cross and receive the grace of Christ. It's crazy, I know, but all of us in our fallenness would rather have control than salvation. That's why this verse is so, so important. And I'll ask you to consider the application in this way. I'll invite the band to come back up. You'll see on the screen some questions. We've asked uh, Jesus, show us what it means to follow you. And he's shown us. He's shown us. Does your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? Yes or no? If it doesn't, you're not in. If it does, it's only because you've trusted Christ. So the question for some in the room online is this, is, this is as serious as it gets. Have you put your trust in Christ? And if you haven't, you can do that right now. You tell Jesus you believe he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again three days later. And you receive by grace the salvation that he secured for us. That makes that's, And I invite you to do that in these moments as we sing and take the Lord's table. And then, and then many in the room, you've put your trust in Christ. And I'm gonna ask you this question. Are you resting in his wholehearted, are you resting with your whole heart in, the, in his righteousness, trusting the gospel of grace exceeds your sin, pardons and cleanses within and secures your standing in the kingdom right now and forevermore. So, so, so are you resting, you know, are you resting in his wholehearted righteousness? Not, I had a bad week, I did some bad things, I don't know if I'm in or out. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying people doubt, doubt their salvation all the time, but we can, based on our behavior, and yet our righteousness is secured in his righteousness, and can I tell you, that never, his righteousness never changes. For those who are in, in Christ Jesus, we're clothed in his righteousness. And you can rest in that. And, and guess what? You can let the water go down and you can share your whole heart with each other before God. You see that? Let the water go down that, because it's Christ in you. This is the beauty even of what Eric said earlier about better together. Oh yes, we are better together as we bring our whole hearts. Take a moment and then we will come to the table, respond in song.
what Jesus has shown us this morning of what it means to follow him.